Okay, well, good morning, College Park. And let me say thank you, Junior High Ministries. I love being able to be with you Sundays and Wednesdays and playing Nine Square and dunking on some of you and getting to know you. So I thank you for this year. I thank you for what's happening, and I'm so glad that I get to be with you. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. We have a lot, and so let me go ahead and pray for us as we begin. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, God, for gathering your people today to hear your word. I pray, God, that you would help me, who is a weak man, to be able to do, God, what I cannot do. I pray that you would help me to know, God, that you will be glorified, and I pray that you would open our eyes today as we witness, Jesus, what you did when you met a blind man. I pray that people would be able to hear your word and that they would respond. I pray that believers, God, would be encouraged, and I pray that, God, those who do not call upon your name, that today may be the day that they would transfer from the kingdom of darkness over to light. Empower me, Lord. Help me by your spirit to do what is impossible for me to do. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay. So let me tell you, there is a story that I heard one time of a man and a woman who had been married for quite some time. This man had come to the conclusion that he was dead. He woke his wife up in the middle of the night and he said, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. And his wife said, what are you talking about? You're alive. This man continually, day after day, week after week, came to the same conclusion that he was dead. And so his wife, loving him, decided to get some of her local doctor friends in order to talk to him in order to help him realize that he wasn't dead. And it seemed that no matter what kind of test they did, the man came to the same conclusion that he was dead. One of the doctors, thinking about this for a while, thought, I know, I will ask him a question. And he asked him the question, would you agree that dead men cannot bleed? The husband thought about this and thought, yes, I would agree, dead men cannot bleed. And so the doctor, hearing this, took a pen, stabbed the man in the finger, and the blood started profusing out of his finger. The wife and the doctors look around, look at him, and say, what is your conclusion? And the dead man says, I guess I've learned something today. I guess that even dead men can bleed. (laughs) Now, I know that's funny. I know that's humorous. But unfortunately, it seems that there are some people that no matter what we do, no matter what evidence we give them, they come to the same conclusion over and over and over again. As we have been looking at John, we have continually seen that the Pharisees come to the same conclusion. No matter what Jesus does, no matter the miracles that he performs, no matter the words that come from his mouth, they come to the conclusion that Jesus is not the Messiah. And so I open up today with this little parable to show us what we are going to see yet again, people who will not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. For today, the only question that I want you to consider as we go through is when you see Jesus, what do you see? What one sees when they see Jesus will ultimately determine what they believe about him. What do you see when you see Jesus? We'll be, we will be going through these um, 41 verses in four distinct scenes. We will see in our first scene what Jesus saw. In our second scene, we will see what the neighbors and the Pharisees saw. In our third scene, we're going to see what the Pharisees saw angered them. And then finally, we're going to see what the blind man saw. So as we start here in verse 1, we see that we're coming off of John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, 
Jesus had just claimed to the Pharisees, it says that before Abraham was, I am, and they were about to stone him on this. And it says we come onto our first scene and we see what Jesus saw. We see that it says, and as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. I'm imagining that for this blind man, this is just another ordinary day. This is probably just another mundane day while he's sitting outside of the temple, hoping that somebody may see him, hoping that somebody may give him alms or someone may give him offering or somebody might pay attention to him. And Jesus passes this man. Jesus was known to go towards people that others would not dare even look at or even talk to. We see this in Matthew 9, verse 11, when the Pharisees question him and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We see this in Luke 440 when we see that Luke describes Jesus in a way as it says, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus is not the type of man that would just pass somebody by. He was somebody that looked intently at this man. And as we're going to see in John chapter 9, Jesus does a miracle to this blind man who people have looked over, who people have seen as a nuisance, who people have probably thought that he is scum and nobody wants to talk to him, but Jesus decides and sees this man. Verses 2 through 3 tells us the disciples see him as well and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered them quite frankly. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's amazing that we see this in the book of Job, don't we? Job's friends come to the conclusion. They say, Job, you've sinned in some type of way. That's why you're suffering. That's why. But we know in Job, Job is described as a man who in all this Job did not sin. What I like here is that in our day and age, we see so much suffering, do we not? We see so many things of the world, and we look at it and we say, God, why are these things happening? And though we may not know the cause, we can run to the fact that there is a purpose for why the things are happening in this world. We can be grounded in the fact that God is working his eternal counsel for things that we don't know. As Romans 8 says, that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So we don't know on the outset of why this man was born blind, but we know that Jesus says it was so God's works may be displayed in him. Jesus goes on and he says, again, we've heard in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. We've seen this. Jesus has been, he has been performing acts. We see this in John 2 when he performs the, the miracle of turning the, the, the water into wine. We see this when he heals a blind, when, when he encounters the man at the mat. And now as we go into verses 6 and 7, we're going to see a mighty miracle of how Jesus interacts with this blind man. So it says, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back saying, Now, I don't know about you, but this is kind of weird. Jesus spits on the ground, sees this man, makes mud, and rubs it on his eyes. Now, if someone comes up to me and spits in my face and tells me I'm going to be, that's just weird, okay? But I don't think it's so weird for the blind man because I wonder how many people have passed him coming out of the synagogue who have not paid him any attention. We know this. We see 
blind people. We see people who are, we would think, outcasts, and we see people begging all the time, and we see them out there with their signs, and we don't want to interact with them. And I'm wondering if the blind man, I wonder how many days has he been sitting there? How many weeks has he heard people coming out of the synagogue talking about the amazing things that they've heard, and yet nobody has dared look at him? So when Jesus spits on the ground and says, you should go wash in the pool, I think the blind man is thinking, oh, how nice it is to hear a familiar voice and not people talking so around me, but someone actually talking to me. Jesus notices this man, and he comes back seeing. This man has been blind. We leave our first scene with the application that while the blind man was unaware of Jesus, Jesus was not unaware of the blind man. I love this because many times, whether it's in my prayer, whether it's in the things that I struggle with, many times I think, God, I've got to tell you the things that are going on in my life because you don't see. But what's amazing is that Jesus, I, nothing that we ever say to him, does Jesus say, thank you for letting me know. I was unaware. Jesus knows all that we go through. Think about this. Before you were even born, Jesus knew all of the totality of what your life would ensue. So we leave our scene, seeing that Jesus notices this blind man. Jesus heals this man, and this man who could not see can now see. All the, rest of the, all the rest of John 9, we are going to have the controversy of the fact that Jesus healed this man, and people, they don't understand why. They don't understand how. And now we are going to enter into the drama of John chapter 9. So we move to scene 2, and we see what the neighbors and the Pharisees saw in verses 8 through 23. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the, is this not the man that we used to see sit and beg? Others said, no, but he is like him. And the man said, it's me, it's me. He says, no, I, I am the man. I know I don't look the same, but he says, it's me. And, and we've done this before, haven't we? We've run into someone at Walmart or Target and said, John, is, is that you? You look different. And they said, no, it's me, man. I haven't seen you since college. We've, we've done this. We've, we've seen a familiar face before and, and wondered if it's so-and-so and we've caught up. The man doesn't look the same. He can see. He could have never seen him. And because of the interaction that the man has had with Jesus, he looks weird. So they go on and they say, well, tell us. In verse 10, they say, how did he open your eyes? And he said, well, I don't know. This random guy named Jesus came up to me and he told me to go wash in the pool and and I did. And they said, well, where is he? And he says, well, I don't know. Jesus disappears. And so what do they do? They bring this blind man who's now received sight, and they bring him to the Pharisees. And John does something interesting and tells us that now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how he had received the sight. We saw this in John chapter 5. We see that Jesus does works on the Sabbath on purpose in order to challenge the a religious elite of the day because he knows that it messes with them. And the Pharisees say, this man cannot be from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So now there's a division among them. There's been a division among the neighbors. They don't know if it's truly the blind man. And now the Pharisees see this man and they say, this man can't be from God. He, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But then others say, but how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And so they asked him again. They say, well, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. 
You've got to understand that in the mind of the Pharisee, they're going to Exodus 31 verse 15, which says, whoever does any work on the Sabbath, that man shall be put to death. So they're going to the law. They're saying, Jesus, you've revealed to us your law. And we're saying, you're not lining up with with the word of God. But yet Jesus has already corrected this in Matthew 12 verses 10 through 12. We see that Jesus here meets a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees ask him, they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, if a sheep falls down, will you not pick it up? He says, if you will do that for a mere sheep, how much more valuable is a man? And so he says, it is lawful to do good. And now we come to verse 18 to a familiar phrase that we've seen all in the book of John. We see the Jews did not believe. They didn't believe that he had been born blind until they called his parents, junior hire. Can you imagine me having to say, man, I got to call your mommy and daddy. We got to talk. Can you imagine? That's that's what they do. So they, they go to the neighbors. The neighbors don't believe it. They go to the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't believe it. So what do they do? They call mom and dad and they say, hey, who is this boy? They go to him and they say, is this your son? And if so, how did he receive his eyes? And his parents said these things. They they said, well, he is of age. You should ask him. And think about this. They say, he's of age. You should be able to ask him. But they said this because they were fearful because in verse 22, it tells us that if anybody should reveal Christ to be Lord, that they should be thrown out of the synagogue. So, I want, you to, I want you to be with me in this scene right now because the Pharisees know, a theological dictionary told me, it says here that the Jews of the day believed that only the supernatural powers of a God like man or God could heal the sight of the blind. So the reason why the Pharisees want to know, because if Jesus has truly done this and everything he's been saying since John chapter 1 is true and they don't want it to be true. So that's why how this man, if he truly was born blind, it's important because they know that only God can open the eyes of the blind. And the works of God are going to be displayed through this man because as John says later in verse 20 through 31, he's written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is performing this works so that those people may be able to see his good works and know that he is from heaven. We leave our second scene, and we see that the neighbors and the Pharisees are blind to who Jesus truly is. We see this in our society today, do we not? We live in an age of so much technology. I have an iPhone. I can go to Google and see what's going to come out tomorrow. We have more resources about Jesus. We know more about Jesus today than in any other point in history. But what is the common objection to many people who hear about Jesus? They don't know about him. Many people in Western society, they don't believe in Jesus, not because they haven't heard about him. They just, when they look at him, they don't see anything. They just see a man. They see a charlatan. They think he's a demon-possessed man. They look at Jesus and they say, I don't see what you Christians see. They're blind, and we see this blindness. The neighbors don't get it. The Pharisees don't get it. And now as we go into our third scene in verses 24 through 34, the Pharisees are going to get mad. I'm talking downright disgusting. So it says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind. They said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to make a confession. My mother's here. I love her very much. In our house, 
Anytime my mother would say these words, I knew it was, I knew I was in trouble. I knew, you know, maybe junior highs, maybe you've heard this. Whenever my mother would say, Matthew, Frank, Magumia, if you do not stop doing what you're doing, we are going to have problems. I knew when she said that, that whatever I was doing, I better stop. And our text tells us here that for the second time, the Pharisees say, we know that this man is a sinner. He's not from heaven. And they say, we've had enough of him. And they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He's not from heaven. And look at what this blind man says. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This blind man is telling us the conversion story of every single one of us in here who claims that Jesus is Lord. For everyone in this room, you were born with a blindness to the glory of how great and amazing God is. There was a time where the Bible describes you as a natural-born, wrath-filled person, and you were disobedient to the ways of God. There was a time where you did not call Jesus Lord, and there was a time then where he opened your eyes, and you say... I didn't understand the things of God before, but, but, but there, maybe there was a date, maybe there was a progression that now Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just somebody you go to, but he is your Lord and he's done something. The blind man says, I've been blind my whole life. I don't have all the theological training. I don't know all the words to describe what he's done. But one, the one thing I know is that though I was blind, now I see. This is amazing. They go on and they say to him, what did he do to you? And he says, I've already told you what he did and you're not listening. He says, do you want to become his disciples too? And they reviled him and they said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. You know, it's funny that they want to go to Moses. I wasn't going to go to Moses, but they decided to go to Moses. Think with me real quickly. Think with me back into Exodus chapter 4. We see that Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. He's been walking, and God comes to him and does what? He says, I have heard the cries of my people, and I'm sending you to go to them. And what does Moses say? Moses says, but behold, They're not going to believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And what does he do? He throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And then he runs away. And then God says, pick it up by the tail. He picks it up by the tail, and it becomes a staff. He then tells him to put his hand in his jacket. He takes it out. The text tells us that Moses' hand is now leprous white as snow. He has to put it back in, and he takes it out, and then his hand is clean. And what does the text say? He says, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. So what does God do? God says, I'm going to give you signs and wonders to do so that when you go to my people, they will know that you truly came and that I spoke to you. Moses is a foreshadow for Christ. Now we go to the New Testament, and we don't see Moses, but we see Jesus. Jesus didn't come from Egypt. He came from heaven, and he comes to his people doing the exact same thing that Moses did. He's performing signs in all of John in the same way that Moses did these signs. Moses or Jesus is doing this, and the Pharisees will 
not see him as Lord. Jesus is saying, I'm coming in the way that I came with Moses. And they don't see him. Verse 30 says, they don't know where he comes from. He says, why, 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 this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will. God listens to them. He says, you should have known through Moses that Jesus was the Lord. Because as John chapter 5, it says, Jesus says, Moses wrote of me. And they say to him, you, this blind man, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. The Pharisees are saying, do you know who we are? We teach the law. That basically in today's society, they would say, we go to the finer seminaries. We know everything. And this blind man would tell me that you were going to teach us. They look at him with contempt. They have no love for, for, they have no mercy for people who are lesser than them. They look at him and they say, you, a blind man would teach us. And they cast him out. They're done with him. They don't want to hear anything else of what this man has had to say. I was talking with a friend earlier about this text, and she had shown me the fact to think about this. The blind man was an outcast from birth, was he not? The text tells us that. Now he receives his sight. He can see. He can now get a job. Maybe, maybe he, can, he can hang out with the guys now. He can be accepted by the society. The only thing he needs to do is deny that Jesus is the one who performed the miracle. Just deny him. Take the sight. Jesus has done everything that you want. Now just, just don't say that he did it. And the blind man decides to become an outcast again. We leave our third scene, and we see that following and acknowledging Christ will not cause the world to love you. If you're on the fence today and you're thinking about Christianity or if you're a believer, I just want to tell you something. Following Jesus in 2019 is not going to make the world love you. In fact, following Jesus in today's society maybe will stop you from moving up in places of employment. It will stop people from liking you. It will, it will cause people to think that you are narrow-minded, that you are bigoted, and that you are horrible. Jesus says in John 15, he says, remember, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. Think about this. Who is the nicest, most compassionate, most loving, most endearing person that the world could ever think to make? His name is Jesus, and they murdered him. And you and me are trying to be conformed into the image of him, and we're sinners. So if they murdered our Messiah, what do you think they're going to do with you who we are poor replicas of Jesus? They're going to hate us. They're not going to like us. And so we leave our third scene saying that sometimes acknowledging Christ as Lord is not going to win us popularity, but what it's going to do is it's going to unite us to a Savior. And we have to come to the conclusion, what's more important? Now we go to the fourth scene. And we see the blind man's confession of faith. We've not seen Jesus ever since the beginning, since he's healed the man. It says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now, I don't know about you, but I went to the greatest university in the history of America, and that's Purdue. <laughs> you went to IU, I'm praying for you, yes, sir play with this man and love him. I just, I got to say, Purdue University, 
black and gold, I love you. Well, anyway, when I was there, I got to sing in the Purdue Varsity Glee Club. We got to do amazing things. We got to sing in some amazing places. I got to sing in the Notre Dame Cathedral. I got to sing at a presidential inauguration. I got to lavalier my mom, which was amazing. We got to do so many cool things, and I love doing it. And normally, whenever we get done singing, either before or after, we, um, we have mingling time and we have um, dinner. And it's, it's amazing the types of people you can meet. Well, this story had happened before I went to Purdue, and it said that one time they were out mingling and they were, they were eating after a glee club show, and one of the glee clubbers had sat down and they were talking with a man. Talked with him maybe for an hour, hour and a half, and the man leaves, and our, our director, Bill, he comes up to him and they said, do you know who it was that you just got done talking to? He's like, no, probably just one of our, our donors, just someone. He said, no, you just got done talking to Neil Armstrong. <laughs> but it's funny because while Neil was alive, it was known that many times when he would see people, in order, because of all the fame and because of all the things that he did, that he would many times go in incognito. He wouldn't tell people who he was, and so people would have many conversations, and they wouldn't even know that they're speaking to a man who's walked on the moon. And what I love here is that he didn't even know about it. So this glee clubber is talking to a man who's walked on the moon, but yet in our text today, this blind man is speaking to the man who made the moon itself. He doesn't know who he's talking to yet. Think about this. I was, I was speaking again to my friend. Jesus made the color red. He made birds. He made trees. He made rivers. He made streams. He spoke things into existence that were never made. The angels in Isaiah, it says they're singing, holy, holy, holy. They're singing day and night, Jesus, 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 the Lamb of God. This blind man is speaking to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he doesn't even know it yet. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, I don't know. And, he's, and Jesus, he says, who is he? Then I may believe in him. This is so cool. Jesus has been so cool this whole time. He's kept it back. And now he's about to let him in on who he is. And he says, Jesus said, you have seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This man has met Jesus. He meets him, and he worships him. One of my favorite songs right now is by Kirk Franklin, and it's called Something About the Name Jesus. He says, it gets sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by. Believer, if you call yourself a believer, do, do the things that you know about Jesus lead you to just worship him? That, that, that man, he's, he's the Lord of my life. He's saved me from death. He's rescued me from that. Like, think about Jesus, and he just worships him. He sits there, and he says, I worship that Jesus in the song he says can't nobody do what he does nobody is like Jesus and he just worships him the only reason why the blind man knew who Jesus was is because Jesus chose to reveal himself to him 
The greatest miracle is not the fact that the man has received physical sight, but it's the fact that the man has seen with his heart, as we sang earlier, that his eyes have been opened and he now acknowledges Jesus as Lord. John Piper said in the message, we should care about all suffering, but we should care more about eternal suffering. It's a miracle that this man who could not see spiritually who Jesus was, that he acknowledges who Jesus is now as Lord. This is the miracle of John 9. Praise God that he heals our physical infirmities, but I praise God that in eternity we can be with him, and he makes people who are blind that they can see. He claimed that he was the light of the world, and he does it not only physically, but spiritually. Again, we see that this man has had an encounter, and yet we see that the Pharisees, unfortunately, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees, they're near to him, and they say, are we also blind? I don't, I don't think they're saying this in a humble way. They're saying, oh, okay, we hear what you're saying about blindness, but are, are you saying us? The teachers of the law, you're saying that, that we are blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees say, Jesus, we see you for all that you are, and we reject you. And Jesus says, if you claim to see me and you reject me, the guilt remains. And so I want to ask again our question that we asked at the beginning. When you see Jesus, what do you see? Does your knowledge about him lead you to worship? I asked my mom yesterday if I could, if I could use this illustration. She said yes. I don't know if you know, but in our house, we keep QVC and HSN in stock. <laughs> what I mean by that is that the today's special value has come across our screen more times than I can think. My mother has over 37 cookbooks, and me and my sister joke with her, Mom, what are you doing with these books? And we joke with her, and, and I say, we have all of these things talking about apple pie, talking about baking, but some of it is not being made to use. And I, I fear that for some of us in today, we know all we have God's word here currently, but we're doing nothing with it. So in the same way that we have all of these cooking books all about grandma's apples and all of the, these wonderful recipes of pies, that's great. But if, if those directions don't actually make it way to the oven, it's useless. Let's throw them away. And so is your Bible believer, is the things you know about God, is it leading you to worship him? Theology that does not make its way into your heart is useless. Theology is the study of God. Oh, how it should lead us to worship. Oh, how it should in the, in the way that we led today. Unbeliever, will you acknowledge that you are blind? Will you acknowledge and say, I've heard the stories, I, I, I've, heard, I've heard the Sunday school that, yeah, Jesus went to the cross. Unbeliever, will you just please with me acknowledge that you are blind? Because John 3.36 says that for those who obey the Son, they have life, but for those who decide they don't want anything to do with Jesus, he says that the wrath of God remains on him. I don't want people having the wrath of God on them. This is serious. 
Jesus has said, the only way you can come to me is if you acknowledge my son. Coming to Jesus is not something for where you have to be rich. It has nothing to do with how attractive you are. It has nothing to do with how good you are. All it has to do is that those who are blind, you would say, Jesus, I want to believe. Open my eyes. It doesn't matter if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care what country you came from. The power of of God is for those who would acknowledge that they can't see. And the question for you today is, will you acknowledge that you cannot see? Ezekiel says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want people in this church today, if you don't call Jesus Lord, call him Lord. Because as one of my favorite pastors says, there is a day where mercy will be cut off for forever. Jesus describes hell as a a place of weeping and gnashing teeth. And I want to ask you, believer, Jesus says that he's revealed these things to the little children. You need not be an expert. You need not be a, a certain race color. The only thing you need to do is come to Jesus and say, help me believe. He will open your eyes. Ask him. Jesus performed this miracle opened the eyes, not so much physically, yes, he did that, but he opened the eyes of a man who was an outcast. And my prayer for today would be that believers who call upon his name, oh, that you would worship him as the greatest thing. Oh, that Jesus would become intimate. I'm not there all the time. There are times where other things plague my heart, and I want to ask you today, oh, Lord, help me to worship you as great. Not the blessings you give me, not of the children you give me, not of the marital status you give me, not of the job you give me, not in anything else. Oh, Lord, help me to be that my chief aim and joy is you. Unbeliever. Oh, how I ask and I beg with you today. Acknowledge that you cannot see. He will open your eyes. Let us pray. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in this text today. I pray, God, that that you would help us to see, God, that you open the eyes of the blind and that you help us to see Jesus as our infinite treasure. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, for those who call upon your name. Oh, Lord, would you help us to rejoice in your name and who you are? Lord, for, for the unbeliever, Lord, who may be struggling, God, who, who maybe for their entire life has never thought about calling upon you, oh, Lord, would you help them to acknowledge their blindness and would you be with them? Oh, Lord, how patient you were with the blind man when he couldn't recognize, but Lord, you are so patient with us. Lord, open the eyes of the blind today. Help us to know that you are sovereign over everything. You are not worried. You are not fickled. There is no thing that worries you, God. You are in control. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes. Be with us, Lord, today. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen.